If you wouldn't mind, turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. It's a good reminder, if, uh, if you missed any of the Ten Commandments in our series, you can go on our website or go on your favorite podcast so you can listen to the other commandments um, and uh, kind of catch up. They're all related and kind of try to connect them as much as possible. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. I've grown a lot. I'm, I'm learning. I've really enjoyed this series, and I hope you have too. We realize how foundational the Ten Commandments are, even in the Gospels, and for uh, the teachings of Jesus, and so that we need to go back to the foundation uh, if we're un- to hear the call of Christ in our lives today. But this week, uh, we are looking at commandment number eight, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to be to God. Does anybody uh, remember what you, your, maybe your first word was or your children's first word was? Anybody remember? You sh- no? no. <laughs> All right, no. What, uh, did I hear something else? Mine. Mine. That got quicker than I thought we were going to get to where I was wanting to go. Mine, yes. Um, growing up with four, uh, three brothers, there's four of us boys, <laughs> you quickly had to learn... What was yours, what wasn't yours, right? And uh, as the youngest brother, you had to try to lay claim on as much as you could, right? Uh, That was the game. Nope, that's mine. This is my side of the room. Uh, Don't come in my room. That's my room. That's my stuff. And oh, but my older brother's stuff was so intriguing to me, you know? Um, They had all the cool stuff in their room, so I'd want to go in and kind of peek around. the question of mine, as we, we have to learn it at such an early age, um, and you can almost see the, the effects of original sin on little kids when you start messing with their toys and what's theirs, right? Um, kind of the greed and flashes come out. That's all mine. Don't touch it. I don't want to play with it right now, but you can't touch it, right? That's the name of the game. Well, this morning, uh, this is, I think, one of the more straightforward and (laughs) easier commandments. If you've been with us, you may say, boy, I wouldn't have thought of that one that way. You know, I don't have too many tricks up my sleeve this week. Um, This is a straightforward commandment. Pretty much, don't take what is yours, what is not yours. Uh, If it's not yours, don't take it, right? That's the commandment. But where I want to go this morning... The question is, what is yours, right? Um, And how do you think about what is yours? Is it really yours or mine? Um, And as we look at what this meant for Israel in a very ancient culture, first and foremost, we have to understand uh, cultures think differently about possessions and what is mine. this was a very ancient culture, as we've talked about in this series of the Ten Commandments. They thought of things much differently than ourselves. Uh, we come from a very westernized perspective on what, what it means to have property. Um, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence since life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That was framed kind of by a, a guy named John Locke, uh, who wrote about 100 years before he was talking about life, liberty, and property. That was the, the role of government to preserve those things and to not impinge on our rights. And so we have a very westernized uh, mindset of how, what, what it means to have property. 
and what our relationship to property is. And that's fine. That's our culture. Um, but we just have to realize that that is going to be pretty different as we look at the Bible. And I'm going to show us some examples of that, what this really meant for Israel. And it, it, it might be shocking to a few of us what we find in Scripture and, and how it's handled. But this was, this, this don't, don't get it twisted, this commandment really did say, if it's not yours, if it is your neighbor's, that if it is giving life to your neighbor, a possession of theirs, it is off limits for the people of God for you to take it. But what is yours and what is mine? Um, let, let's look at a few ways that this um, may, may have been different. And, and we have to understand the ground floor of why this would have been different for Israel and the people of God, and it's true through all the ages, is God graciously freed them from bondage in Egypt. He brought them into the promised land. And throughout the Old Testament, it's clear the land is not yours, it is mine. I'm bringing you into the land, and I can take you right back out of the land if you don't follow the covenant, right? All of it was seen, the very beginning of the story of Israel, as an act of grace. Everything that they would have, from the food that they would plant into the ground to the rivers that are running through it, all of it was God's mercy and grace in their lives, and they didn't properly own any of it. It was God's. Maybe you can see where I'm heading. We just sang about, this is my father's world. Whose is it, mine or yours? Um, some of these examples, though, this gets into really practical stuff that um, may be surprising to us. Most of us know this. Leviticus chapter 21, feel free to turn with me if you want to. I, I'm just going to read it quickly. Uh, verse 9, Scripture reads, When you reap the harvest of your land... You shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. The very next Phrase, you know, see what it is in verse 11? You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. Um, here, I just want to stop here. I'm going to read a little bit more. Uh, but it is clear God is staking out uh, on Israel right now that even though you planted that field, even though you did all the work, all of it is not yours. God was laying claim to the edges. God was laying claim to the gleanings are like, you know, when you go through a harvest, you're going to miss some. You can't go back through and get that, the rest. If you missed it, it's God's. If it dropped to the ground, you can't reach down and pick it up. That's God's. So for us, for Israel, we understand. We think in our culture, I planted it. It's in my field. It's mine. And for Israel, that had heavy qualifications for them. Um, they were not to glean the fields. God had laid claim to it for a purpose, to feed and provide for the poor and the immigrant and the alien in the land. Those who needed food and sustenance, that was theirs. It was not the owner of the fields. Moving on to verse 13. You shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal. And you shall not keep for yourself wages of a laborer until morning. 
um, here really talking about stealing in the way of really defrauding and, and keeping wages. What, what that really meant, most of the time in ancient cultures, you were a day laborer, so you were working for your daily wages that you needed to eat dinner and pay for accommodations. And so that if you said, oh, I'll pay you tomorrow, that leaves that person with nothing for that evening. They needed that to at least buy food, if not provide for housing. And so God is like, that is not yours. You keep it unjustly. It is, in fact, stealing from them. Uh, and so Israel, for when they think about stealing, when they think about what is mine and what is yours, God put heavy qualifications on what that looked like for them. Um, that it was not all theirs. Um, Here's where it gets a little bit even more surprising for us, I think. Uh, this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23, just uh, two verses I'll read for us. Verses 24 and 25. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in a container. Verse 25, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Do you understand what he, the law is saying there? Is that you can plant, you can work as hard as you want, plant your field in different things, and your neighbor is allowed to come into your vineyard, allowed to come into your, grain, your fields of grain and eat whatever they need. In our culture, that, there's a word for that, stealing, right? That is plain in our culture, in our Western minds, that is flat out stealing. Think about it. If you plant a garden and then you see some stranger who you don't know plucking things out of your garden, you're going to run out there and say, hey, what are you doing? But in Israel, they, your neighbor, had a right to it. It wasn't yours. It was God's. And God had determined that it was more important for the life and the well-being and the health of your neighbor than for you to have exclusive rights to it. Do you hear? Now, it wasn't allowed for your neighbor to go in and start cutting it down to go sell at the market. That was outlawed. That would have been stealing and against the law. But if your neighbor was hungry and they needed something to eat, by right, they were allowed to go into your field and eat whatever they needed. Um, part of this is, comes up when Jesus is walking through the grain fields and he's plucking heads of grain with his disciples. Notice that Jesus was not a farmer. Jesus wasn't planting anything, and yet how he and his disciples were eating were going through other people's fields because of this law allowed them to. So as we talk about what it means to steal and to not steal, we have to realize that uh, the, the concept of what yours and in mine would have been very different for ancient Israel. And what is clear is that the community cannot survive if what you need for life is being stolen or taken away. That's outlawed. The community can't survive. But for Israel and for God's people, there was, had to be the recognition that they did not have exclusive property to anything, that God laid claim on it, and that property was never to become more important than the life of your neighbor. Do you see that in the scripture? That the life and the well-being of your neighbor had a right and a claim on what you'd planted in your field. 
what was left over of your gleanings. God had laid claim to it to provide for those that needed. So what is yours and what is mine? In ancient Israel, stealing was outlawed. But there is a different distinction in what is yours and what is your mine. So what does this protect us from? I, I think the, 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 the commandment at its heart does protect us from Captain Obvious of saying, hey, I, don't have to, I shouldn't have to worry about the things that I need being gone tomorrow from someone taking them. And you think of God's community, the people of God living in community together in Israel, stealing should not happen, right? And that's clear. Um, that there are things you and I need for life. There are things you and I need to sustain ourselves, whether the clothing, housing, a vehicle to get places with, and it is completely outlawed to take what is not yours. But here's what I want to say. I kind of want to flip this question we've been looking at on its head and say, what does this not protect us against? Because I think this commandment sometimes has been used um, inappropriately so. This commandment sometimes has protected people to say, I can amass as much as I want, and it's all mine, and how dare you if you touch it or want to touch it, right? Um, there runs a problem when we try to decouple the commandments of God from faith. I think that's what can happen out in the world today. When we try to take the commandments, and yet we don't rely, relate rightly to God, the commandments don't protect us from what they should. Does that make sense? Um, and this is a perfect example that do not steal when properly understood always benefits the community, the life of the community. Because I recognize that it's all God's and that he has certain ways where he wants me to handle my resources. And yet, if I just... We, we can imagine a person that doesn't really care about the relationship with God, they just really want to enforce not to steal, and then they can just hoard all they want and keep and say, it's all mine, don't you dare touch it, right? The commandment then is not working in its proper context because it is not related to a loving God who has something to say about how we use our resources. Are you tracking with me? This hap I bring this up because this does not protect us from it because this is exactly what happened in Israel, the prophets tell us. I just want to give us one example. Uh, Isaiah is the prophet, and especially the beginning chapters of Isaiah, uh, God's judgment is being laid at the feet of Israel, and this is why they've been taken into captivity. And uh, Isaiah chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, here's what God says to them. The Lord rises to argue his case. He stands to judge the peoples. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people? By grinding the face of the poor, says the Lord of hosts. Do you hear what God's charge against the people of Israel was? You have broken the law because you devoured the vineyard. You didn't listen to the law that said you, you need to leave the edges. 
You need to leave, leave the gleanings. You need to leave the grapes that drop. You devoured every inch of the vineyard. So you know what happened? What God told them they did? That was stealing. That they had stolen what was rightfully meant for those in poverty. God's charge against Israel was that, yeah, you may not have been stealing from what your neighbor had, but you were stealing from me when I had laid claim on the edges of your vineyard, and yet you took that, you used it for yourself greedily, and now you've stolen from the poor. Do you see the power of the command, do not steal for us today and for Israel? The commandment holds true, do not take what is not yours, but for the people of God, God has laid claim on us in our lives, has he not? So the commandment becomes pressing for us. Uh, I, I understand I'm, I'm not trying to complicate it today, um, but I just think it, as I'm looking at who I'm preaching about, I, I hope you're not struggling with stealing your neighbor's goods, right? Um, if, if you are, come talk to me. We'll pray about it. I'll, I'll, I'll give you how to break it. But, and I'm, I'm being serious now, I do think we need to think about as the people of God reading scripture and seeing what happened to the people of Israel, that sometimes we can allow people to be in the church and not to recognize that God has something to say about what we own. Not even something to say, it is all to be laid on the altar to God. And that what it means to steal isn't always going into your neighbor's property. It's also what you're not doing or hoarding for yourself. So as we think about what this means in our lives, I want to talk about that, but let's uh, look to Jesus. And uh, I think it is, goes to the straightforwardness of this command that Jesus never reinterprets it or adds to it, really. You know, as we've been looking through the other commandments, Jesus says, hey, you've heard, don't commit adultery, but I tell you not to lust. Um, Jesus doesn't say, hey, you've heard not to steal, but I tell you. I think that just says because it's pretty obvious. But Jesus did more than almost any other subject in the Gospels, did talk a lot about money, right? Uh, and you know that well. Uh, but there's a point at which actually Jesus says the command, do not steal. And I want to look at that encounter really quick. Um, it's found both in M Matthew and Luke. And it's really just, you don't have to turn with it, just, uh, it's the parable of the rich young ruler. Most of us know that. And the, the rich young ruler kind of comes to Jesus. He's a, a committed, God-fearing Jewish man. And he comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, um, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Great question, by the way. I mean, we should all be asking that question, especially if we talk to Jesus. What do I need to do, right? And here's Jesus' response. And here's, here's why I think the Ten Commandments really are important for us. Because Jesus basically lists not all the Ten Commandments, but most of the Ten Commandments. You know the commandments, he tells them. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Honor the father and mother. And he actually adds one that's not on the Ten Commandment list. You probably know it, though. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do these, and you will inherit eternal life. But the young rich ruler, he kind of, there's probably a spirit working in him. He kind of knew that wasn't the end of the story for him. Because he responds, I've been doing all of those. What else do I lack? He knew he was lacking something. He knew something wasn't spiritually right. 
And Jesus looked at him and says, if you'd like to be perfect, go and sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, and come follow me. And all the scripture says is, and the man walked away sad. If this was a conversation about a sermon on giving, I would talk about the hold that money can have on our heart in terms of the rich young ruler. But this sermon is about stealing today. And what I want to say to us, even from that encounter, is that if we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, if we want to follow Jesus, if we give our lives over to Jesus and follow him, that everything must be put on the altar. That everything we have, just like Israel, is a recognition that, God, I give it all to you. I give my family to you. I give my dreams to you. I give what I'm going to do with my life to you. And yes, I give over to you everything I own. And I'm not saying that glibly, that, that our understanding has to become what that rich young ruler couldn't get on board with, was that God will lay claim to everything you have. That like Israel, if you want to come into the promised land, if you want to enter into salvation, if you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want to experience the peace and the joy and the beautiful life that you can have through Jesus Christ, you can't say, yeah, but all this is mine. You have to give it all to Christ and say, do with it what you will. That is the call of the gospel. So that, in effect, we are stealing if we are trying to follow Christ, if we say we are a Christian, and yet we're saying, no, but this is mine. If we think we can just use things as only we want with no regard to what God would lay claim to what we have, I hate to tell you that is breaking the eighth commandment. Is is Christ Lord of all that you have? Um, I, I think sometimes maybe as Christians, as maybe we've been in the church for a while, sometimes we can forget that language. We, we can forget the gift that we have in salvation, and we start just operating that it's all ours, and what should I do with it? But our Christian understanding, if you've come to know Jesus as your Savior, is really to say, it's not mine. It's God's. We have a word for this in the church. It's kind of church language, but it's a good word that we need to use more often. Stewardship. Have you ever heard that word used? This really points to the Christian understanding that we, we talk about it here, the church, and we should. In our board meetings, we talk about what we do have stewards, but we need to be good stewards of all that God has given us to be used for God's kingdom. So our offerings, our building, we need to be good stewards because this is all God's to be used for his glory, to be used for his kingdom, right? Uh, we do that in very open ways. Uh, it should be open ways, uh, very transparent ways. All of our financial uh, undergoings are open. You can see them. We have them on record. Friends, I want to tell you something, though. If you're a Christian, if you're benefiting from Jesus Christ and his grace and his forgiveness, all that you have is God's as well. All of it 
is God's gift and blessing to you and that you are not an owner of, you are a steward of, right? That we should look to everything that we have and say, how should I use it? How does God want me to use this, right? Don't hear me. You need to provide for yourself. God gave you a job or gave you a pension to provide for yourself, for the clothing, for the housing needs, the car, and different things. We do preach modesty in what we have in the church of Nazarene. We do not say that you can just go spend as much as you want on anything you want if God's given you control. We preach modesty. Why? Because we are stewards of God's money in our personal lives. Um, but this goes down to everything, time, resources. It's God's, not mine. You should be able, you take vacations, rest, ret- save money. You need to have saved. Don't live on the edge of financial collapse every minute of the day, please. I'm not preaching that. But as we relate to our own needs and desires and wants and resources, we cannot fall into the trap of Israel to say, ah, it's all mine to use for as much as I want. It's God's and how we control it. I think that's the biggest temptation of stealing in the church today. That we open our checkbook and say, 100% of this is mine to use. Thank you, God. It's not, friends. So maybe you're, you're here today and, and you've said, you know, I, I, I have made the decision to follow Christ and I'll just wait uh, until Jesus tells me to do something with my money. Well, friend, Jesus has already told you what to do with your money. It's found in the scriptures. Amen? Um, you don't have to wait to hear it in prayer time, I'll tell you, I'll point you to the scriptures of what God wants you to do with your money. Um, we need to take that seriously, what God wants us to do. I, uh, I do believe that God wants us to give generously to his church to further his kingdom. I understand and I talk about that. I always want to be cautious about that because that call has been abused uh, from the pulpit at times and how it's been used. And that's why I stress how transparently we use money here. You can find out exactly how much I am uh, paid at the church and subsidized for. Uh, that is open information. I hope you'd look at it. Um, but also Jesus is clear and the church gets off base if we uh, forget to talk about Jesus commanded us to give to the poor. Um, that part of your resources, just like part of your vineyard, is owed to those in need. That it's not your charity or your generosity when you give to people that are in need. It's owed to them, friends. And so when we think about our checkbooks, we need to look at it like that. The church needs to be more mindful in our budgets about how we can give to those in need. And it's not just, oh, look, we're such a good church, we give to those in need. It's we better or we're stealing from God. Or we're falling into the same trap of Israel. Um, and so God has already told us. I like it in Ephesians. Paul says this about stealing. This is kind of, you want some uh, New Testament epistles thinking about stealing. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, chapter 28. Thieves must give up stealing. I like how he just says it kind of like, eh. Thieves, you got to give up the stealing, right? You know, it's, it's not like, oh, shame on thieves, the hell of a... Thieves, you got to give up stealing. Here's what you should do, Paul says. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something nice for when they retire. Actually, no, it doesn't, it doesn't say that. You're right, Brian, it doesn't say that. Let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with those in need. Even Paul says, hey, give up stealing, right? 
Work, it's good, you need to work so that you have something to share. Jesus put it positively to us, right? Jesus always wasn't just whipping the, oh, you better give to the poor. I like how Jesus says it. It's, it's positive. He says, don't store up treasures on earth where mice will get in and eat it, where uh, moth will eat, or rust will destroy, or thieves will break in. Don't store them up here. Store up your treasures in heaven. No thief can break in there. No moth can destroy it there, right? I encountered this just yesterday. I, I bought myself a nice little welding kit. It was a cheap one. You know, I got it from Harbor Freight, if that tells you anything, right? I got my, got my little welder. I got my little welding mask, and I, I haven't used it that much. It's been sitting safe and sound in my garage, right? Well, yesterday I needed to weld something, and, and so I pulled it out the... I put on my welding mask and I said, that's not right. That really hurts my forehead. And I took it off and a friendly little mouse had come and chewed away the headband on my welding. <laughs> and here I thought it was safe and sound in my garage just waiting for me to use it. And little did I know, a little mouse was destroying it. Friend, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything about buying a new car. I, I have too nice of a car, I think. But that new car, that's really nice to have. You know it's going to be worth about a tenth of that in about 15 years. Why, why put your money in things that are going to fade? 15, 20 years. I mean, there's things we need, and we need a reliable car. Go buy a new car. That's fine. But why spend, why should any of us spend $100,000 on a car when they're not going to be able to get a tenth of that in 15 years, Right? That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is being serious. Because here's what he says. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think it's, you know, they have that saying, you can't take your toys with you when you die. Maybe you can. Don't run out of here and say, pastor's preaching. Maybe you can. I think that's a fitting picture of hell. You sitting around with all your toys, just you and your toys, as they rot away. How long is that boat going to last in eternity? 30 years. And keep slapping coats. Do you really just want to sit around with you and your toys for the rest of eternity? Maybe you can take your toys with you, but friend, I don't want to go to that place. Jesus is being serious. Put your time and your resources and your money towards the things of the kingdom. Put your life into those who are struggling, hurting. Put your resources towards the kingdom of God, the church, and those who are in need. Build relationships and love and enter the kingdom. And then you'll enter that kingdom where there is no private property. Everything is shared in common. And we get to love and celebrate and worship God forever and be in a beautiful community together where everything's shared. Or, yeah, you go down to that place where you might be able to have your boat with you. See how well that lasts you, right? I don't want to go down with my toys. Friends, if you're sitting here today and you've never really fully made the commitment to give your life over to Christ, or you've never really just laid it all on the altar and you're scared, 
I get that because you're not gonna have control over how you spend your money, at least not fully. But what you need to be more scared of is what happens if you don't give Jesus everything you have. What you need to be more scared about is if the things of this world weigh down your soul so much that that's all you end up with. I'm fine with that picture of hell that you just end up with all your belongings in a dark room. That's the scariest thing I can think of. I want to go. I want to leave my belongings here and go be in the kingdom of Christ. That's the thing you should really be scared about. So let me ask you, have you laid it all on the altar? Is it all Christ's? Or are you trying to play footloose and free? And let me tell you, that is stealing from God and the poor among us. Thou shalt not steal. It's a clear command. You you don't need to struggle with it. But the question we will have to wrestle with, what is mine and what is owed to God and my neighbor? If Jesus is Lord of your life, you have to give up the mine, mine, mine game. You have to give it up and say, thanks be to God, I am free from that. Because those things will never satisfy. That's an endless journey that does lead to hell. I've given it over to Christ, and he has freed me, and now I know where my treasure lies. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in these moments, (coughs) would you speak to our hearts? Would you impress on us uh, your will and your desire for our life, just like that rich young ruler? May we be willing to lay it all on the altar for you. And may we understand clearly in these moments as you speak to us what it looks like for us to follow Christ with everything we have. Be with us now in these moments of prayer. We ask that your spirit would join us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I'd just quite simply say that uh, you are welcome, everyone is welcome to join us in communion. Uh, The table of the Lord is set and all are invited. Um, even if you're not a Christian, I just ask you to make a decision right now to follow Christ. And the grace of God is yours. Come and partake of the bread and the cup. But I would say if you are a participant here at this table and you come up for communion, what you are confessing is that this is God's free gift for us, but then it does lay claim on everything that we have that you are in essence coming to the altar and laying your life and say, take it all, Lord. Take it from me. Use it to your glory. That's the power of God's grace. And let me tell you, it won't always be hard. It won't be begrudging. I think that first move sometimes when we're coming out of sin or we're trying to lay it all in the that that's hard. I'm not going to minimize that. Friend, let me tell you, it's a beautiful life. God will do more with what you give him than you can ever imagine. God will put you in places that you never dreamt of and have a greater impact for all of your resources in your life than you ever could do by yourself. But only if you give it to him. 
only if you come up and receive his grace, his gift of salvation. Simply confess, Lord, I haven't been living like I should. Confess your sins, accept the forgiveness of Christ, and make a decision to follow him. I'd invite you to pray in your seats. I know many of us are carrying heavy burdens. You can pray before you come up and receive communion. You, you can pray and altar after you receive communion. Um, let this time be a time of prayer for all of us. I believe God wants to speak to us about what his ownership and our stewardship look like in our lives as our servers come forward. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And having broken it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat whenever you do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. When you're ready, come receive the grace of Christ. Let us continue in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you and just thank you uh, for your act of grace and love in our life, for sending your son Jesus Christ out of love for us while we were still far off. That there is no amount of money, there is nothing we could sacrifice, nothing we could give, not even our own life that would come close to what you have already given and sacrificed on our behalf. And so, Lord, we come in our utter poverty and we say, take it all. It is all yours. Help us to receive your free gift of salvation, the gift of new life with you. That's what you desire, Lord. But I pray that we would be freed from the bondage that possessions try to lie on us, that we would be freed from thinking it's all ours, and that we would simply give it to you, Lord. And I know as we give you everything we have, that you will use it to the furtherance of your kingdom, that we will find blessing and peace in that, Lord, like we never knew before. And so I pray that this would be true in our church and for those that are seeking your face here this morning. We lift up those who are struggling, whether they be financial struggles those who are looking for employment, Lord, we pray that you would provide for them, that you would meet the needs of those in our congregation and those in our neighborhood, Lord. We know you are the giver of all good gifts, and so we ask that you would provide for those in need. Uh, we ask that you provide for those that are recovering from illness or facing painful diagnoses or chronic pain in their life, Lord. Um, bring healing in their bodies. And we think of Pam Daniels uh, this morning. We think of uh, those that are about to go under surgery, um, whether it be a knee replacement, Lord, or uh, those <coughs> struggling with uh, colds or the flu. And may we entrust our health to you. Be with those who are struggling emotionally this morning, and we especially uh, remember the Miller family and Harvey and Blanca, Lord, as they, um, we all miss Sister Rose, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would heal and their family and their feelings um, be with them in the coming days and weeks ahead. Um, those who are, 
or mourning, a loss of friendships or um, a brokenness in a family, Heavenly Father. Those that are missing children, may your spirit work in these situations. Draw us closer to one another and bring healing in our families, we ask, Lord. We lift up our church ministries and we just pray that it all would be used to your glory, that you would give us wisdom to see how best we can use our resources, use our time, and use this that you've entrusted us in this church to proclaim the good news of Jesus in our neighborhood, that people would come to know the same grace and forgiveness that we know, that they would come to enter into your kingdom and experience the joy that we know, Lord. So may we be faithful stewards. I bless the preschool ministry and the food pantry ministry and the recovery ministries, Lord, and the Bible studies that meet here. May your kingdom be advanced. And may we give sacrificially to see it happen, Lord. Would you just uh, exponentially use what we give for your kingdom? Lord, we uh, lift up those our leaders in the church. We think of Greg Mason and the rest of the North Carolina district. Uh, We think of those Christians around the world that are laying their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. We think of the Christians that have given up all that they have to go to another place to proclaim the good news. We pray that your blessing would be upon them. Um, We lift up our local and our state and our national leaders, Lord. May uh, you give them wisdom and grace to carry out their duties May we treat other nations rightly and promote peace and justice wherever we can. Lord, we love you. May we never falter in our love. May we never be distracted or tempted to secure our life by any other means than by coming to you. Keep us close. Sanctify us holy. May we be your people. And help us to pray that prayer your son taught us saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. (coughs) And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power in the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? You know, there is so much peace to be found when you've given it all up. Uh, There is so much freedom to be found when you lay it all on the altar to God's kingdom. You don't have to worry about it anymore. It is God's and trust it to him. Whatever burden you may be carrying, give it over to Christ and he will carry it for you then you will know the peace of the kingdom. So may you be the people that are free and clear, that have your possessions in a whole nother place where moth and rust and thief can never steal. May we be secure in the kingdom of Christ.